Hey friends, Jen here with Christian AF. On today's episode, we are talking to Dr. Ryan Burge. He's a political scientist um, and a professor at Eastern Illinois University. And uh, we're going to talk about a lot. We're going to talk about um, some of the things that churches are doing right, some of the things that they're doing wrong right now, talk a little bit about COVID and kind of that climate that's happening. And we talk a whole heck of a lot about politics um, and questioning our politics, especially with our faith involved. Um, It's a really, really great conversation. Uh, We didn't talk about what we're drinking. So let me tell you real quick anyway. Evan is drinking an Oktoberfest from Prairie Street Brewing Company. It's great. I had one over the weekend. Get off my intro. I was so close. Okay. Anyway, we, uh, Jesse and I are drinking um, Lager Town Oktoberfest from Half Acre. And I, I actually really like it. Um, I struggle with Oktoberfest a little bit because uh, sometimes they're a little tinny or like blood tasting to me. <laughs> Irony would be the right word. Uh, but this is actually excellent. I really enjoy it. Um, so anyway, that's where we're at. We're going to do this quick because we had a long conversation uh, with Ryan to share with you guys. So um, sit back, relax, crack a drink, maybe two because it's a long episode and enjoy. Hey, <laughs> Ryan, we have Ryan, Dr. PhD, right? PhD, Ryan Bird here on the old podcast. Uh, he is a professor I'm going to get it wrong. Are you a professor of political science? Is that? I am. Actually, I technically I'm an assistant, assistant professor because I don't have tenure yet. So, uh, yeah. but I've been there for about eight years. Assistant professor of political science and graduate coordinator All of right. the political science program at Eastern Illinois University in Charleston, Illinois. Nice. Oh, I don't think that yeah. I knew where Eastern was and I've lived <laughs> in East. Illinois my whole life. Yeah, it's somewhere that way. East? It's south of you guys. It's, okay. Uh, Cham- go, go to Champaign-Urbana, drive 45 minutes south, and you will be there. It's All a right. town of about 15,000 people in the middle of cornfields in the flattest part of the state. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Sounds lovely. The only thing I've been down there, yeah. I've been to Greenville. My dad got went to got his master's degree at Greenville College. Yeah. Is that a thing? That's where my bachelor's degree is from. Okay. Four years there. Oh, yep, right very on. Very familiar. Uh, we were just wow. talking about this the other day. Um uh, who went there? The band uh, Jars of Clay. Jars of Clay. There it is. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were before my time. Uh, Augustana, the lead singer of Augustana, went to Greenville Ooh. whenever I was there. I haven't heard them. Uh, Dan Leis was his name. You know, okay. all the stars and boulevards. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah, all that. Yeah, uh, and, and there's a really good group called Paper Route that kind of never really broke big, but I was a huge fan of them. And I actually think they were probably the most talented band to ever come out of Greenville. They, they broke up about two years ago because they tried it for like 10 years. It could never break big. And so when I went there, it was, uh, the contemporary Christian music major was the first in the country, like in no university offered that oh, except yeah. them. And so like everybody from around the country who was like an 18 year old, like praise and worship leader was like, I'm going to Greenville. Yeah. So a lot of them, basically yeah. like went there to find their bandmates huh. yeah. and i think like i swear like whenever i went there we are there were over a hundred ccm majors when i came in as a freshman and i think two of them actually graduated four years later okay um, <laughs> because because they got to like music theory too like, and not they were for like, me not phrygian scales are not my bad <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. Just, i got power cords, that's about it yeah <laughs> 
I yeah, thought this was just like GCD. Come yeah. on, man. And that's I, all you, know you need. I mean, that's all you need guitar. for worship, right? It was like, <laughs> it, yeah, of course. But you know what? Everyone learned how to play the guitar. Like I learned how to play the acoustic guitar there because basically you had like twelve teachers on every floor who could just show you how to do one thing, and if they got annoyed with you, you'd go down the hall, and somebody else would teach you something else. And, yeah. So in the first week of the semester, every fall, the first week, all the guys are sitting around the quad, like playing acoustic guitars, like Wonderwall, nonstop. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. So, Trying to, you know, I'm just picturing all the ladies shopping for all, like picking up their, you know, <laughs> yeah. that part of their degree while they were there. <laughs> Get the yeah, husband MRS. while you're there. MRS yep. And that happened. Oh yeah, we have a lot of friends who got married, exactly. met their spouse at Greenville, and got married. And they're still together now. So, yeah. yeah, my best buddy married a girl he met at Greenville, and actually my two best buddies married girls they met at college. I didn't, but they yeah. Did. So it's <laughs> it's very much a thing there. I'll say that, and uh, it was good. I enjoyed Greenville a lot. Yeah, right on. So, um, tell us about. Okay, so for our listeners, you are. I guess the the correct term would be a political scientist, right? Or political? Correct. Is that the right correct? That's it. I'm assuming. I just put an ist at the end of science. Um, and then uh, you're also a pastor. So, how did these two things come together? Well, when I was 18 years old, I was in. In one of my classes, my, my teacher says, Ryan, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a youth pastor and a lawyer. And she thought that was ridiculous. <laughs> she's like, she's yeah. like, there's no way. You cannot do both those things. And I said, okay, but I'm going to try. <laughs> and so I feel like I was like a quarter right because I'm like adjacent in both ways to what those are. So um, when I was – let's see. So when I was like 19 – 20 years old, I just turned 20 years old, and the job that I had over the summer was at Walmart being a stalker. That job disappeared for the next summer, and so oh, I needed a job. Not stalker, and not stalk, I, stalker, not stalker. Yeah, no, yeah, stalker. I just followed people around Walmart. That's right. yeah. that. um, I did not do that. Great job. Um, so I found out in my philosophy mystery class that there was a town that needed a youth pastor that was like one town over from where I grew up, mm. and I didn't have anything else to do. And I kind of grew up in church, and I was always like leading Bible studies and you know groups and things like that. And I thought, well, let's give it a shot. So. I applied and I got interviewed and at 20 years old, I became the interim youth pastor of First Baptist Church of Centralia, Illinois. And, you know, it was supposed to be a three month summer deal just to kind of mm-hmm. get them through summer camps and all the kind of summer stuff that you, you know, with groups do. And they decided, Hey, we like you. So stick around. So three months turned into three years. And so I did that from 20 to 23. Did it all through. Um, so my last three years at Greenville, I was also a youth pastor. So every Wednesday, I have to go back. I have to drive like an hour to go to church. Every Sunday, I have to go back, drive an hour to church. Mm-hmm. And then I did that for three years. And then when I was going to go to grad school, I quit that job because I was going to go to grad school. Yeah. And then my area minister was like, hey, we got this church down in Marion, Illinois, which is like 15 miles away from Carbondale, where I got my PhD from. They're like, hey, they're like 30 old people. They just need a pastor. You want to <laughs> give it a shot. Yeah. And I was like... I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I did that for like a year and that, and then I got an assistantship at SIU. So I didn't have a lot of time. So I was like, I'll just not do it anymore. Well, I got called for public supply at another church and then I preached there twice mm-hmm. and they're like, Hey, you want to become our interim pastor? And so I've been interim pastor there for 13 and a half years now. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Jeez. 
<laughs> so that's my current church. It's it's like uh, it's it started out at fifty people when I first uh, came there. We're down to about twenty on a good Sunday now. Everybody is seventy five years or older except my family. Oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, good, I mean good, that's just it's good always age just for the COVID who I am. attendance, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's actually true. I actually tell my classes that I go students. If you're dumb and infect me with COVID, I'm probably going to kill somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Very good chance. I'm going to infect some people yeah, at my holy, church, holy and, and they're going to die, and I don't want you to do that. So yeah. that actually stuck with them. Like I had several <laughs> people email me and go, I'm not coming to class because I don't want you to kill the old ladies in your church. Yeah. And I was like, exactly. I feel yeah. like right exactly now what? I'm. I've been talking to my daughter about it, and any fever, any reason whatsoever, I don't think this is the year that no one will question. Yeah. You'll be like, I don't want to go to school today. <clears throat> I got a little something. And then yeah. everyone's like, yeah, stay home. <laughs> yeah. For many. And that's a that's actually a good um so uh you do a lot of like cool charts. I guess that's the only thing I could graphs. Uh, graphs. <laughs> got you. Right. Yeah. You, you like poster board. I see them in no, I'm just kidding. The um but you do a lot of good graphs on everything political and then some COVID stuff. So it's a good like little segue into um, the COVID conversation in general. Um, not necessarily about like what the virus is. I think everybody gets that <laughs> to a certain extent, maybe. Um, but uh, like, what is the what would you say is kind of the impact of COVID in general? Like in the the outside of people getting sick and some people dying, some people go to the hospital, whatever it is. So I wish I had a great statistical answer for that right now, but I don't because we don't even know what we're dealing with just yet, right? Yeah. We're still rolling along, trying to figure Some churches are in person. Some churches are online. Some churches are both. Some churches are neither. Yeah. We don't really know yet because we're not going to know the full ripples of this until we actually get back to, you know, whatever normal means in 2027, it feels like at this point, yeah. right? Yeah. So I don't. I don't know for sure, but what I do know is if you take a real good look at the data and you sort of kind of see how people change their attendance over time, mm -hmm. the people who never go, never go, yeah. right? They That's just their mode. They're never going to go. And the people who go like once a week or more are going to go once a week or more, whether it's online, in person, whatever it is. Yeah, It's the people that are in the middle that are sort of troublesome for me, you know, as a, as a social scientist and a pastor because yeah. – they're the group that's more likely to switch. Yeah. You know, people go like once a month, twice a month, like 20 times a year, you know, like in that range somewhere. Mm -hmm. What we know is those people, they, they typically change their attendance over time. And more often than not, it goes down more than it goes up. Okay. So they hardly ever become like monthly to weekly. They more often become monthly to seldom, you know, like six times a year, four times a year, two times a year. Yeah. And I think that for a lot of people, this is going to have a galvanizing effect for them when it comes to religion. They're gonna they're gonna think a lot of people haven't gone to church in you know six months now, who yeah. used to go once or twice a month. I wonder if they are going to be like, I miss that community and I miss that ritual and I miss that you know that standard of practice in my life, and I'm going to go back to it at least the same level, if not more. Mm -hmm. Or some people go, you know what, I haven't been to church in six months and my life is no better nor worse for having gone there and they'll just go the other way and they'll yeah. go into that very, very rarely or never box, which seems like that's where the tide's pushing everybody anyway. Yeah. Um, so it just seems like the flow is going to be more towards less than it's going to be towards more attendance. Um, I don't know that for sure yet, but I know there are groups that are getting big grants to study that right now. So in like five years, we'll actually have a real, real, real answer. Um, yeah. That's my <laughs> inclination looking at the data. 
Yeah. You know, cause I was, I was thinking, um, the other day about, uh, uh, well, I was, I guess I was preaching on it the other day <laughs> is really what it was. Um, about, you know, I guess statistically about the church in America has been losing about 1% attendance per year, give or take, probably depending on the year. Um, I, it's gotta be, it's, I, I can't imagine that that number doesn't go up in the next year or two, unless there's like a nine 11 thing where people kind of revert back to church really quickly for a little bit, but, and then they'll be gone again at some point as my, as my, uh, uh, philosophy, I don't know, theory, I guess. The thing about nine 11 was though, if you look at the data, it was like this minor blip, you know, like if you look at the trend lines, you see like, there's a little like jump up. And then by 2002, 2003, yeah, everyone sort of returned back to stasis, right, with the way yeah. they were before 9/11 happened. I just think that um, the trends are clearly in the in the mode of secularization, mm-hmm. um, but they're also in the mode of just people abandoning society, which I yeah. think is something that I don't think a lot of people understand. Is they think that people are leaving church specifically, but they're actually not leaving church specifically. They're leaving all social activities. Yeah, you know things like bowling leagues, things like the Moose Club and the Kiwanis and the you know the Lions Club and the the uh, the VFW and all these social organizations that have been like the backbone of American society are cl- like the Kiwanis in Mount Vernon, Illinois, the town I live in, is closing mm. down after seventy five years because they have eight people that are active Kiwanis right now. Yeah. And they're all like 70 years old. I mean, like that is the story of America right yeah. now. And so I don't think it's specifically church. I just think it's generally, you know, social isolation. Yeah. And church is just another piece of that. And I think a real tragic piece of that in a lot of ways. But I don't think that, I think pastors like to kind of jump on that and say, look how bad church is. You know, look how poor of a job we're doing. You have to understand there are these big macro level forces happening in America and the world that is making it making church different today than it was even 20 or 30 years ago. So tr- to try to think we can't use the same strategy we used in 1970 in 2020. It's just yeah. not a good idea for a bunch of reasons. And to be honest with you, the proofs in the pudding and the church has declined in membership dramatically using those old techniques. So, yeah. you know, you can see it in front of you. And But I think a lot of churches just don't know what else to do. So they're like, well, we'll do what we did 30 years ago. And obviously it's not working because – that's how, yeah, that's I've got do. a question too. Like, cause I I know uh, I think we I've heard you on a couple of things talking about how uh, with the impact of COVID right now, like the smaller churches really are going to have no choice but to essentially fold eventually, and yep. and merge with other places or or I get not even merge, but you know be enveloped by other churches, bigger churches. For those of us who are all in the small churches, <laughs> that would be the <laughs> that three would be of us. us. That would be um, all of us. All four there, of us. Is there any data that uh, has been good that you've seen pop up that would be uh, worth looking at in the sense of the small people? How do we stay in it, you know, rather than just folding, or or is that just the impending doom that we have to look forward to? You know, um, obviously time will tell. You don't want to just yeah. commit to something, but yeah. yeah. So there's one paper I read that I love that says like there's kind of like two harbingers of like you're going to not make it. And one is attendance is below 30 consistently. Um, and the other is that your total budget is below or your total receipts, your offerings and your ties are below 50,000 a year. Because in both those cases, it makes it incredibly hard, you know, from a financial standpoint to make ends meet, but also yeah. just to like get work done in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I became like the plumber, the janitor, the drywaller 
the real estate agent, the insurance guy for our church at the, you know, in the last couple of years, because everyone who used to do that stuff died. So yeah. if like a door started uh, broke, I had to come fix it. Cause I was like one of the very few guys who could do that. I think what, that's what happens in churches is you get so small. A lot of churches ride on volunteer help, you know, mm-hmm. like to, to do things, to fix things. Like you have a plumber in the congregation. So he comes and fixes the toilet for free. If you don't have that, you got to pay for that, which means your financial strain gets worse as your attendance gets smaller. So really it creates this downward spiral. And so what we know is that churches, if you get below those thresholds, $30,000 a year in tithes and offerings uh, and or 30, 30, 30 people in attendance on our average Sunday or less, it's basically you're, in a, you're, you're kind of past the point of no return. However, I think you know every everything like this has outliers, and our church has been below 30 now for probably seven years, and our budget's like $35,000 a year, and we're mm-hmm. still kicking. Yeah. Um, because it's really hard to kill a church. If it wants to stick around, it's really hard to kill a church. And for instance, we gave our building away to a Christian school. So we don't have to worry about the plumbing and the electrical mm-hmm. and they let us worship there every Sunday. So like that literally took like our budget and cut it in half overnight because we don't have yeah. to pay for insurance and upkeep and maintenance and utilities and all that stuff. So if churches want to be adaptable, you can run on very little for a very long time. It's just, you've got to find a core group of people who are saying, we're going to make it happen. You know, yeah. we're going to, we're going to run this thing out until the money goes to zero and we're not going to stop until we do that. I think what happens with a lot of churches, they just give up because they realize it's kind of hopeless. Yeah. Not that mm-hmm. they have to quit right then, but they were going to have to quit in three or five years. They just wanted to get ahead of it and move on with their lives. Yeah. So yeah. burnouts are you know, a real I think thing. That, yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And like I said, like I'm, I'm the only pastor of our church, obviously we have like 20, 25 people and you know, I've been doing it. I've been in the pulpit for 14 years now and I've had. Before COVID, I had two Sundays off in a row once in like 13 years. Um, So, and like there were stretches where I'd miss like two Sundays in three years. So Mm. I was preaching like 150 times out of 155 times, something like that. And you know what? It just grinds you down over time. Like that's not even your full time job, right? (laughs) No, (laughs) that's crazy. No, it's just my part time gig. Um, But you know, it's 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 also you know, and this is why I tell the small town pastors and small church pastors like myself. Listen, these people in my church have all been members for fifty or sixty years of our congregation, right? Mm -hmm. Like they they have grandkids that are older than me. I have great grandkids that are my age. And you know what? They need they need you know, hospice care exists for a reason because people everyone deserves death with dignity, and I think churches do too. And especially kids in my generation, like I I came up, I have like a dozen friends who are church planters all over Mm -hmm. America and the world. And it's so cool to be a church planter because you're like growing something out of nothing. And like that's where all the trajectory is in American Christianity. The problem is, though, you're leaving behind these saints who have been faithful to their churches for literally decades. Yeah. And you're leaving them without a pastor. So when they when their funeral comes, who's going to preach their funeral? Someone who doesn't even know them. Yeah. And I think that's just disrespectful to them because, you know, when – not to get preaching here, but mm-hmm. in the great cloud of witnesses, mm-hmm. there are all these great clouds of witnesses behind us, right? Yeah. And I think to, to, to only look forward is to forget all the people who are behind us that we, we move forward with. Yeah. And so, like, that's been my calling. Like, I, I don't really feel a strong call to go try to start a new church or whatever. I'm just happy doing the best we can with what we have for as long as we can in the situation that we're in because I think that's just what honors God and honors my calling. So. Yeah. And plus, I don't have the mental energy to deal with like 150 people who are angry with me about, <laughs> you know, the color of the carpet or like I said one thing, like I said, Black Lives Matter from the pulpit or whatever. You know, like yeah. I just don't have the energy to deal with that stuff. So it's just fun. It's easy. I'll say that's the easiest pastor I've ever had because they know that we can't fight because if we fight, we all die. Yeah. So yeah. We just kind of <laughs> go along. Yeah. And it's yeah. been a delight. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, the um the fun because we're we we are uh we all serve at uh, a small church. I think we've said it. I don't know. <laughs> We have. Last time. Yeah, you can say it now. It's out there. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh. The name of it. Oh, the name. It's called Grassroots Church. We were trying to originally, because of the name of the podcast, try to keep the name of the church out. It's not a case. church affiliated Yeah, podcast, we're not affiliated with our church. But this is. Because we, we would have those people that would be, uh, you not, know. Not happy. They would, I would get an email. <laughs> um, and uh, hopefully those people aren't listening. <laughs> By the way, I love everybody If you're listening, it's probably not you. Yeah, you are my people. <laughs> Um, but we're a small church here, and we meet at a brew at a brewery here in town. And um, yeah, and I know it's very, you know, edgy, edgy. <laughs> that's his. That's basically his office. It is also so. where I work most days. Um, but the uh, the one thing, like when I think about like that idea, that like I I was talking to somebody a, a few years ago. I used to be I used to be on staff at a church plant in. Uh, Alabama, which might, I have a little bit of twang, but I'm not from the South. I just lived there for a long time. Um, but the, so I was on staff at a church in Alabama, church plant. And I was talking to somebody about that very idea, this idea of like almost, uh, like church planting is really cool and it gains a lot of momentum, but there is like a whole section of people who are not going to bump over to the new church because new church is going to be a little bit hip, a little bit cool. The style is going to be different or distinct. And in the South, especially that we were in a small town, small ish town, 30,000 people um, in the South, in the deep South. So you have uh, like 45,000 Southern Baptist churches on every street corner. And then a couple cool hip church plants that are kind of stealing all the young people and then eventually, like, those pastors leave from these churches, and then you leave all these, I don't know, 60s, 70s, 80-year-old people who just don't have anybody to feed. So they just kind of rely on other churches to kind of send over a pastor every once in a while. It's, it is. It's it's like that's kind of a—it is super sad, and we do ignore that all said and done when it comes to how to grow Christianity, I guess. Yeah, that's that's something that we're I'm working on a book with one of my co-authors. Um, we're going to call it Bubble Church: The Social, Political, and Religious Implications of Non-Denominational Christianity. Because mm-hmm. that's something like that that social science really hasn't come to embrace just yet. Like, because we yeah. always think of we think of like non-denominational as just being another type of evangelical church, like yeah. basically Southern Baptists, and they are actually theologically they're very very similar. Yeah, Southern Baptists, but all these non-denominational churches, like their gospel is growth more than anything else. Oh, for like sure. that is their reason to be you know like everything to them dies in in in, in service of growth like literally everything because they those pastors don't talk about politics because that would be divisive they don't talk about anything that could be controversial because that's divisive everything is geared towards growth right but what they don't talk about and this is what this is like the dirty secret of non-denominational growth is it's all cannibalization of other churches oh, absolutely i mean almost none of those churches are successful at bringing in making i would say like, it's like a, a bathtub with bath water they're not adding water to the bathtub. They're just swirling it around yeah. and putting more on their side of the tub. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality. And they won't tell you that. But and what's funny is I have asked multiple church pastors to ha- like let me do a survey and just ask the question, did you go somewhere else before you came here? You know, yeah. a simple question. And not a single one of them will let me do a survey because they know what it's going to show. Yeah. And what it's going to show is – they are not really doing that much for the community. They're actually doing some negative stuff for the community. And, you know, that's the problem with growth. 
you don't think about where it comes from. It's just growth. Yeah. And even when it's negative. Yeah. I mean, that's so I, so that church in Alabama, I ended up getting fired from because I was asking those kind of questions. I was like, cause we grew very, very quickly. We went from, you know, five people to 500 people in two years ish in a, in a thir- town of 30,000 people. So it's a, a pretty good percentage of people were coming to our church. And I quickly recognized that, hey, there was another church down the street that had at one point had 2,500 people, and then they kind of had a, a church drama and imploded, and they ended up, we ended up getting probably 250 of those people. And so one Easter, we had, I think, 850 or 1,000 people come to our Easter thing, and our pastor was super excited. I said, yeah, but where are those people all, where did they all come from? Because we just literally had a church die right like overnight, right down the street. That was the largest church in town, or one of the largest churches in town. And uh, so we can't really celebrate this growth because it's not actually authentic. You know, Matthew twenty-eight. Growth. Yeah, you're not making disciples and growing the church that way. You're just kind of like everyone come here, like yeah. popularity kind of a thing. Yeah. Give me your of, money, or so what's new and now, thing. and you know whatever that might look like. Yeah. Interesting. The reality is that those people that came over are probably very disgruntled anyway, and uh-huh. they're probably not going to stick with your church long either. Yeah, they like, didn't. They're church hoppers, <laughs> like by by nature. Mm-hmm. And you know what you said when you first said, Evan, I planted a church in Alabama. You know what my brain said? Because you know what Alabama needs more of? Yeah. Church. <laughs> they're a real wasteland. Uh, trust me. Like, you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. People come up with these crazy ideas. Like, let's go to the Bible Belt and put more churches in there. Yeah. You know? I, it so, just makes no sense to me. Like there are enough churches in Alabama. I yeah. promise there, so, there's yeah. enough capacity right now to put every butt in Alabama in a pew on Sunday morning. Yeah. We don't need to add more to it. Mm-hmm. But the problem is it's, hey, let's do the new thing. And, the, and like, listen, there's ARC and there's Acts 29. I was just about to talk about a ARC. bunch of money. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. ARC. That's that where like my jam. Like that's what we're writing our book about a lot is about ARC and how they're set up and how they work and stuff. Yeah, that's so where we, all my friends like, got their thing through yeah so we were an arc church and ah. um yeah <laughs> and i i have grown to uh hate it but the not hate hate's a strong word whatever strongly whatever dislike. strongly dislike okay. arc. but the yeah. um yeah I, and the funny thing is and maybe i mean this is a here's a chart idea you <laughs> uh because i look because get my notepad out yeah there you go <laughs> i uh i looked up when we moved from Alabama, because my wife and I were thinking about planting a church at some point, but we it was such a, like a dark seat, like a dark season of our life, and, you know, whatever. Um, Good Christianese, well and, done. Yeah, it. Uh, but it was such like a weird time, and so we didn't really want to. We knew we didn't want to go through Ark because we looked up the map of where Ark churches were, and like I would probably say eighty five percent of Ark churches are in the southeast. A ton of them are on the coast mm-hmm. of Florida. And it's like, oh, like, so we started looking up kind of videos or, hey, there's this new church that's being planted in, uh, you know, Fort Myers Beach, Florida. And you go and there's a video and they're like, oh, yeah, God just called us here to the beach, the sunny beach of Florida. (laughs) These sunny, you know, it's like, oh, come on, people. (laughs) Nobody's calling anybody to Kensington, Philadelphia or I don't know. It's like like going on a mission trip to Ireland. Like, come on. (laughs) You just want to go drink beer out there. Yeah. (laughs) My buddy actually planted an art church in Maine, though, mm. and I'll give him props. What church is it? Maine is I. Uh, it's called the Re- uh, Refuge, maybe. Okay, my brother's at all it. these names. Yeah, 
My brother's in Ark Church in Portland, Maine. Maine. Yeah. Oh, it's not it's not Portland. I can't remember the name of it now. But like I, I can't keep all these names straight because they're like so catchy. <laughs> oh yeah. We actually we were actually gonna name our book, and I can't swear, but catchy BS is what we're gonna you name, can name swear. our yeah. book. You can I mean, swear. On okay. our end. I mean, Christian AF is we were gonna call it catchy bullshit. Like, yeah. That was gonna yeah. be the title of our book. <laughs> yeah. Because like that's what these churches thrive on. Is like these like poppy names that are so like nondescript like the journey and the ramp and yeah. the refuge you know and resolution yeah and it's like man if i started a church which i won't do i'm gonna call it like all church of sinners and saints right? <laughs> all christ church or like i'm gonna go as old school as you get because yeah. i'm not trying to be like that's the problem with those churches they try so hard to be like so attra- attractional and missional yeah. and all that stuff like I mean, what are you doing, guys? You're, yeah. you're wearing jeans and you're being a hipster and you're talking, you know, you've got cool <laughs> lights and sounds. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, but the problem, and here's the other problem with those churches. Those churches, okay, so if you're an art church and you know this, Evan, because you were part of it. If yeah. you're an art church and you want to keep the money, the, the money spigot flowing from the top down to you, you've got to adhere to a couple different doctrines. And yeah. one is complementarianism. Uh-huh. And the other is that you know, LGBT lifestyle is not to be permitted or endorsed or, you know, condoned in any way in your church. Yeah. Here's the problem though. Two thirds of young evangelicals are cool with gay marriage now. Yeah. Okay. And 75% of them are cool with women preaching from the pulpit on Sunday morning. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And those are evangelical young people, not just generic young people who they're mm-hmm. trying to reach generic, you know, like the average young person. Yeah. So if you're a pastor going into like a progressive, let's say like Portland, Oregon, okay. And yeah. you're trying to plant an art church in Portland in order to keep the doors open and keep the lights on, you got to keep the ark money flowing. But in order to get people in the seats mm-hmm. so that you can pay the bills when the ark money stops, you've got to preach a, a gospel that stops the, the money coming in right now. Yeah. So you're like caught in this terrible catch 22 of, do I want to try to be, you know, do I have to keep the money flowing from the top or do I try to raise it up from the bottom fast enough that I can pay my salary and not have to go like get a job at home Depot tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a terrible, it's a terrible model because they basically are forcing you to preach a gospel that you probably don't believe in. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't see why so many church planners are willing to, I know they're willing to go that route because they have all these experience and all these trainings and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think they, they really hobble you from the very beginning and your ability to like reach out to younger people because the gospel you're preaching is completely unattractive to probably 75% of young people in your community and maybe even higher depending yeah. on where you are in the country. So oh, I just sure. think the model worked for a long time, but they're going to have to come to a reckoning soon yeah. about how they're going to change on those issues. Otherwise, all these church plants are going to fail, yeah. and that's lost money. You know? Yeah, I think they – like I think a lot of them – uh, so the biggest, so like Arc or Acts 29 or there's a smaller one called Stadia. Um, and they all, Stadia, not Stadia kind of piggybacked off of the exponential conference, if the, yeah, yeah, you know, which is a big thing in Orlando. But Arc puts on a huge conference every year and they bring in all these, you know, cool hip pastors and they bring in like the up and coming Arc church pastors to come and speak. And so it's like every pastor, I remember looking at my pastor at the time and saying, oh, he wants to be that guy. Like he wants to be the guy that's on the stage at the art conference and it's never challenging. Like it's never, nobody's ever saying like, hey, you guys are, you're not doing a good enough job. (laughs) Like, let's be real. You're not, you're not doing the gospel, right? Like no one's ever like doing that Jesus exhortation thing, which uh, drove me bananas. I would go to these things for two to two to three days and be like, here we go. I'm going to learn how to set up a light rig. I'm going to learn how to do sound well or how to 
you know, organize a Sunday service or, hey, how can you make your youth group get everybody in that one high school at your youth group or whatever? But you're never going to hear like, hey, you guys are all kind of, you guys all suck. Like, <laughs> you guys suck really bad. Let's get better at being, you know, disciple makers. <laughs> but that's what ARC, I mean, that's their bread and butter. ARC always talks about we start, we, you know, launch big, stay big. Growth, growth, growth. We, we planted like 75 churches last year. We planted 12 churches this weekend. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a numbers game. And listen, I get it. I get it because here's the reality. If those churches didn't exist, evangelical Christianity would be in a significant decline in our country right now. I yeah, mean, sure. I don't think people realize. Like, people still think, oh, when they think evangelical, they think SBC, Southern Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. In 10 or 15 years, Southern Baptist Convention is going to be – I mean, they're they're losing rapidly. They're, yeah. I mean, their their attendance numbers are going down like half a million a year now. I mean, and yeah. so in five or 10 years – so listen to this. In 1975, 3% of all Protestant Christians in America were non-denominational, and now it's almost a quarter of all mm-hmm. the non-denominational Protestants. Yeah. So, so think about that. I mean, we're talking like in our lifetime, half of all Protestants in America might be non-denominational Protestants which is something we've never seen before. And we can't even conceptualize what that looks like because Christianity, Protestant Christianity, has always been denominational. So yeah. when you have all these little churches around, we're actually going to call the, the book Bubble Church. That's yeah. the real title, not the other title. Nice. Because what we found is these churches have what we call a small locus of concern. Like mm-hmm. They're concerned about their church and maybe their community, but beyond that, they really don't have a way to care about their state, their country, global humanitarian crises because listen the southern baptist convention dumps literally tens of millions of dollars a year into foreign missions Mm -hmm. they have a whole apparatus set up so if there's a tsunami in 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 the philippines they can have people on the ground in 24 hours the southern baptist can Mm. how does an ark church you know like the refuge ramp church in you know rural (laughs) alabama how are they going to help you know, with with humanitarian relief across the world, when they don't have any any indication or tendrils outside of that local community, yeah, I think we forget about that. Like churches are one of the drivers of humanitarian aid in this world, and non denominationals just don't do that by their yeah. very nature. Like that's not their style. Yeah. And what does that mean for society? I think it means some bad. It means further fragmentation is what it yeah. means, and a sense of. You know, we're all in this together, and we're a global community. Even we're a national community. I don't think ARC breeds things like that. I don't think Acts 29 – they do at the leadership level, Mm -hmm. but they don't at the laity level. You know, you don't talk about other churches like you would in SBC or like United Methodist or whatever. Yeah. I just think that's like an implication that we haven't fully – I mean, I know a lot of Baptist churches are like, let's plant new churches now. But they're going to plant Baptist churches. They're not going to plant these non-denominational splinter churches. Yeah. So – so that's what I think. Really, think evangelicalism in like twenty or thirty years is it's going to be like two thirds going to like the the ark and the journey and the ramp and the mm-hmm. refuge and the in the rock and the you know all these. Yeah. And there's going to be very few Southern Baptists and Pentecostals left because all those churches have been sucked up by yeah. these new cool kids on the block. But here's the other thing: most <laughs> of those churches are are they they only had one pastor. Yeah, they've had the church planter as the pastor, and you know what? Most of our churches are really bad at handing over leadership oh, in a way that yeah. makes any sense. For sure. You know, like yeah. look at uh, look at what's at Willow Creek. Look at Bill Hybels at Willow Creek. Oh, yeah. I was so I, I was stoked by that dude. He had like a two year plan yeah. to hand leadership over to other people, and I was like, that's exactly the way you do it because he yeah. grew that church huge. And yeah, so he you know they, they actually installed two pastors, a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Don't tell anybody about the woman, <laughs> right? 
And then it came out that he was, a, you know, he was sexually uh, harassing people on his staff the whole time. Yeah. And, the, and both those pastors resigned. The entire board quit. And the handover turned into a big dumpster fire overnight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I think that these churches, because they don't have these structures on top of them, mm-hmm. when that, if that pastor dies in a car crash tomorrow, what happens to that church? Yeah. Who takes over? Yeah. And in most cases, there's no one to take mm-hmm. over. They're not grooming a second in command. It's the pastor and his wife, who's almost always on staff, always on oh, paid yeah. staff, yep. it seems like. Um, and that's in the worship leader, and that's all you got. So, and she's the one who I'm, preaches you know, on Mother's Day. <laughs> it's not preaching, Evan. Oh, okay. It was a she talk. can't yeah. Yeah. talk about mothers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A, talk, a conversation about motherhood. <laughs> that's what you do on Mother's Day. Yeah. Oh man! <laughs> Got to be careful, now, okay? Yeah. <laughs> don't want to be heretical. Yeah. So, uh, on your end of things, uh, in in your church, uh, I guess, do you, as a um, in the politics side of things, do you not avoid? You know, like because obviously, you know, it, like you were talking about, most people are trying to be complimentary and try not to like ruffle feathers. And I mean, we're kind of in that whole thing where it's like we just. I mean, politics sometimes is just a piece of its own where you, it's just stupid sometimes, but no offense, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) no offense to the political scientists. No, no, but like, you know how politics gets and, but like, do you, do you take a certain approach in your church? Yeah. So what I try to do is I try to talk holistically about how our faith informs our politics and not be partisan. Yeah. And I think there's definitely a way to do that. I think just pastors are terrified of doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, so really the thing that, that my, my guiding philosophy of that is Imago Dei. The mm-hmm. idea that every human being is born in the image and likeness of God and deserves respect, honor, and you know, and, and for, because they're a human being, not because yeah. they're Christian or non-Christian, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, young, old, doesn't matter, right? So, and then I I preach from that, like that's my my motivating principle. So, like I gave a sermon one time talking about this little boy named Alon Curdy who died um, trying to flee Syria in a boat and drowned, and there was a picture of you know him laying on the beach, this little like three-year-old boy like dead on the beach mm-hmm. from trying to flee persecution in Syria in, in civil war because no country would take him. Mm-hmm. And I said, that, that little boy was born in the image and likeness of God just like your little boys and girls are. And to think that his life was worth less than one of your kids' lives is to deny the Imago Dei, right? Yeah. To deny that he was created in the image and likeness of God just like you are. And whenever we see black our black brothers and sisters being targeted by the police, systemic racism is real. I mean, yeah. I'm a social scientist. I could I could literally drop a hundred articles on the table right now showing you that black people are treated worsely by the police and the justice system than white people are in mm-hmm. all ways. Okay, that's factually true. That's not my opinion. There's tons of data that backs that up. So when I say Black Lives Matter, I'm not saying I approve of a socialist organization. What I'm saying is that God cares about black people, especially He cares about black people because they're being dumped on by society and have been yeah. for literally hundreds of years. Right. Yeah. So it's not me being partisan. It's saying that I care about the unborn as much as I care about the immigrant because mm-hmm. God loves them both. And if he loves them both, then I have to love them both. And you know what? That might make you upset. And I hope it does make you upset yeah. because if your partisanship lines up with your theology, then you've made politics your God. Yeah. And that's not the way that, that I operate. Okay. Mm-hmm. My So here's to go on the political science thing a little bit. For a long time, we assumed that Religion is your first lens, and then politics is downstream of that, right? Mm-hmm. You interpret political events and political elections through the light of your theology. So that informs the way that you vote. But the current understanding is those lenses have flipped now. 
and that mm-hmm. politics has become the first lens, and now religion is down downstream of, of politics. So now we read the Bible in a political way. We go to churches that reinforce our political viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're in a good spot in America when half of all white Christian churchgoers, weekly churchgoers, are Republicans. Yeah. I just don't think that's a good place for us to be. You mean— I think what, in, I see, Oh, Go ahead. I was, you mean like uh, after Jesus came back from the dead, they didn't shoot guns up into the air and <laughs> whoop and holler? Like, yeah. No. Okay. Sorry. God I cut Christ. you off. Yeah. Arm. No, but I just think that like, I, and I, I was talking to a buddy just the other day and he's like, he's my age and you know, I would call his politics slightly left of center because I think that's where I would describe my politics as well. I think mm-hmm. slightly left of center, but yeah. in, in modern American times, that makes me like a mouth taste, say tongue socialist somehow. Yeah. Um, but you know, <laughs> He, he was like, there's no place for me, dude. And I was like, yeah, dude, there's no place for us. Like, there's literally no mm-hmm. place for us anymore. And if I was going to start a church, because I have no idea why I would ever do that. It's the worst idea in the world. But I would come out and say, <laughs> guess what? We're going to talk about things from the pulpit that you're not going to like. Uh-huh. I'm going to talk about politics from the pulpit. I'm going to try to explain to you what a Christian worldview means. I'm going to try to show you that Christians have not always been gun-toting right-wing Republicans. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look back 100 years ago, the most the, the best-selling Christian book in America for three years in a row was called Christianity and the Social Crisis by Walter Rochenbush, where he basically advocates for the social gospel. He says, mm-hmm. if your church is not saving people's bodies, then you can't save their souls. Mm-hmm. So feeding hungry kids, working on injustice, these are all Christian principles. Yeah. And now you hear pastors say, if your church talks about social justice, leave and find another church. No, yeah. no, no. Social justice is Christian justice. It's always been that way, yeah. but somehow the loudest voices in American Christianity have said that you have to believe in the Second Amendment. You have to believe, be pro-life on everything. You've got to be anti-immigrant to be a Christian in America today, and the reality is that's only existed for like 30 years. Mm-hmm. If you look back in history, it's not been that way. The problem is if churches are going to grow, they gotta they got to pick up some Democrats along the way, guys. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You've tapped out the Republican audience. It's mm-hmm. gone. Like you've done, you, You're hitting pain on that. The only yeah. thing you got left is moderates and liberals. And if you keep talking about Trump and immigration and mm-hmm. you know how great America is from the pulpit every Sunday, you basically said to at least half your potential audience, yeah, you don't belong here. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is not for you. Mm-hmm. And I think like I have pastors, I have pastors on my Facebook because I have Facebook friends that are pastors because I'm a pastor. They literally post nothing but like Trump memes and anti-Pelosi and anti-Biden. Yeah. I'm like, so basically what you said to, to a Democrat who might want to go to your church is you don't belong here. And Jesus is not for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to me, that is a sin. It, to me, it's mm-hmm. it's one of the worst sins. Because what you're saying is if you believe the gospel is life-giving and truth-giving and hope-giving, you're saying, yeah, you don't deserve life, hope, and truth because you vote differently than I do. Yeah. And I just think that's, that's, that's heresy. Mm-hmm. And I think that unfortunately that – Church pastors have become so accommodationist because they don't want to make anybody mad. They want to keep mm-hmm. growing that they don't talk about politics from the pulpit. And if they do, it's always right-wing politics. And what happens is if you don't help steer the ship, it's going to be steered by somebody else. And eight hours of Fox News and eight hours of conservative Facebook and Breitbart and all those webs, Daily Wire and Ben Shapiro and all those guys, mm-hmm. they're teaching your parishioners about what how God would vote and how Jesus feels. You're not doing it. Yeah. And I think that's advocating your responsibility as a pastor of the gospel. You know, it, it just gets me so fired up. And I'm not even a liberal. Like, I really am not a liberal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just sure, I, sure, sure, I sure. want diversity <laughs> in the church. Like, I yeah. think, like having, having different viewpoints is exactly what the church was supposed to be about. Yeah. It's good for democracy to have liberals and conservatives in a congregation. I don't think it's good for anybody when 80 or 90% of your church votes for the same candidate. I think that's just yeah. bad for yeah. everybody. Yeah. Um, and bad for the kingdom too, but you know, that's a yeah. story. 
and I feel like if you have a if you do have a community that is somewhat mixed with those beliefs, like you know, liberal versus conservative, like everyone just tiptoes around it, and then like it's like, oh well, we're at church, so now we have I have no opinion when you know, like if I'm around my church people or whatever that might be. But I think it's such a hard thing to navigate because you go from well, I can't really talk about it at church, but at, on Facebook, all I see is literally everyone throwing their opinion in my face, and so now I'm seeing people in my community from church, especially mm-hmm. who, but I can't go talk to them about it because then it's an argument on social media. And I, I don't know the way that we talk about politics is so it's either aggressive and in your face or fearful as far as like not wanting to offend your friend and disagree. Yeah. And I don't know how to navigate that conversation in a, in a more healthy kind of way, especially in today's climate where people are so it's such a strong, like it's an echo. Uh, I mean, COVID probably had, cre- had, uh, egg, uh, if I had to say, enhanced the echo chamber create like building that we are all in because we were, we were shoved in our houses watching the algorithm that or the things that YouTube says we like to watch over and over and over and over again, or Netflix, wherever it is, right? Um, so people for the past six months have been fed nothing but the same ideologies over and over and over again. I think we should make a platform that, uh, that pushes the opposite of what you Google or look at <laughs> just to see if it balances people out. Yeah. Like the opposite <laughs> algorithm. Give them the, not what you yeah, research. Yeah. Here, here's not what you wanted, <laughs> yeah. but read this. It's good for you. Yeah. <laughs> so I had this little thing I do with my students every once in a while, whenever they get like, I have a really strident student or two on both sides. Cause I'm in a rural area. So we get Republicans too. Mm-hmm. I say, can you name me two good things about Barack Obama? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, really sit down and, and think about it. Like, really sit down and think about it. I want you to give me, and they go, well, he's not president anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're a hack. I'm sorry, yeah. you're a hack. Yeah. You're a hack. Like, that you are, you, I don't believe in anything as much as you believe in your party. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that is, that is tragic to me. Like, I, that's, a, I think that my problem always been my entire life is I've never believed anything as much as other people did, whether it be, faith or religion or you know whatever it is like i just i just i grew up in church i didn't get saved saved until i was 15 you know my mom and dad were like praying every night that i wouldn't get hit by a bus because i die and go to hell because of Asian <laughs> and all that stuff you know but i was like i'm just a skeptic man like by my very nature like i'm yeah. just skeptical of everything and everybody and i think that like the world doesn't exist for people like me you know like like Mark, you remember Mark Driscoll? Like yep. that dude scared the heck out of me. Yeah, because he was so sure of himself. Yeah, I'm like, how can you be so sure of yourself, dude? Like mm-hmm. you believe in a religion which is faith without evidence. Like you got to at some point understand that you might be wrong. Yeah, like and it's okay to be wrong. Like you know, I remember hearing a preacher preach one time, and he goes, "Here's what I think this passage means," and I was like, "Oh my goodness, write that down." Like, yeah. that's what I, that's the humility that I need, right? Yeah. Like, I, here's what I think the passage means, but I could be, and I probably am, wrong about mm-hmm. something. Yeah. And, and to hear politicians and people on Facebook just, like, bombard them their, their Facebook feed with, like, far right or far left stuff nonstop, it's mm-hmm. like, do you do anything else? Yeah. Like, is this your entire life? And how how come I'm not like you? Am, am I the broken one, or are you the broken one? Yeah. Like that's kind of how I approach those conversations, though. I go, so why why don't I believe everything I read from Breitbart? You know, yeah. why why can I trust everything I read on you know Daily Coast or 
think progress when it existed or whatever. You know, like why, why, why can't I do what you do? Like, how yeah. does your brain work that my brain? And so like, if you approach it that way, I think, I think people are much more receptive because it's not like you're wrong. It's like, try to explain to me why I'm wrong. Yeah. You know, like get, I want to get inside your head a little bit. And do you really believe, do, can you criticize president Trump? What has he done wrong? Can you do that? Cause if you can't, then obviously you've been fed a lot of Kool-Aid, but like, do you think it's wrong? You can't criticize him. Like that's, yeah. that's the kind of questioning that I get involved with, with my students and with people I just talk to, you know, just wherever, because it, it disarms them. Cause then it like puts the impetus on them to try to convince me. And I, I'm, I'm willing to be convinced. Like I'm listening to them. And more often than not, what you find out is they don't really think about these things as much as you think about these things, mm-hmm. right? They just, it's called confirmation bias. Yeah. They want to have their preconceived notions of the world confirmed. Yeah. And when they find information that doesn't confirm it, they unfollow, they unwatch, they switch mm-hmm. the channel, they do something else because they don't want an incoherent worldview. Yeah. Okay. The reality is we all have incoherent worldviews. It's just no one questions us mm-hmm. on those. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Okay. I was talking to a conservative buddy of mine a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about police and, you know, policing and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I go, okay, whenever you get pulled over by the cops and they say, can I search your vehicle? What do you say? And he goes, well, I let him search my vehicle. I go, why? He goes, cause I got nothing to hide. I go, you do have a fourth amendment right to unle- unreasonable searches and seizures. You know that, right? He goes, yeah. I go, do you realize that people fought and died to rid us from the British to give us a constitution so we would not have to be unreasonably searched and seized? Mm-hmm. Do you trust the government? Do you like the government? Yeah. No. Then you, do you trust the cop to search your car? Why are you giving permission to the government, which you don't like, to invade your space and violate your rights? He goes, well, they've never done anything wrong to me. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. like, do you realize how incoherent your worldview is? Yeah. Like, it's completely incoherent because the partisan line has not really followed the ideological line of what conservatism is about, which is a skepticism of government and a general distrust of government, especially government authority, which is what the police are is government authority. They're not yeah. your friends. Mm-hmm. And that's not a conservative or liberal thing. That's a, like a, that's like an American thing. Yeah. The police are not your friends. Like yeah. they do a job and I appreciate their job, but they're, they're not your friends. And the reason you think they're your friends is because you're white and you're rich. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's be honest here. You know, mm-hmm. so like if you if you start like really breaking people down, you start realizing that they just believe whatever the parties tell them to believe or what the media tells them to believe about this, that and the other thing. And reality is they don't have a coherent worldview. They just have whatever's fed to them by somebody else because self-reflection sucks. It's yeah. really, really hard. Yeah. And the reality is, is we just don't self-reflect. We're just responsive and reflexive and we don't we don't really internalize anything, including the gospel, by the way. But, you know, that's just. The yeah, coming out. yeah, including for sure, especially I would say yeah. especially the gospel. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> the uh, it's funny because we're doing a so right now uh, we're in a I guess a sermon series if you want to call it that basically going over the because we just started uh, uh, meeting together again uh, in the past four four weeks four four sure yeah, four, four five, weeks whatever. Um, and so we're now going, like, we're going through a few, about four weeks of, hey, let's just talk about everything that's happened in the past uh, six months. So last mm-hmm. week, we did, I just did, hey, this is what I personally am fearful of tomorrow's or next or Sunday is COVID. Then we're doing race and we're doing politics. And mm-hmm. I did a politics sermon, what, a year and a half ago, maybe? Yeah. Pretty close when you came here. It was. It was like right yeah. off the bat. It should not have been a thing that I should have done in the first couple of months that well, I got to a new church. To a church. I appreciate and that. I was like, my first sermon, I was, move, like, I was like, here's 
here's politics. No, no. The why did I do a politics? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Makes I don't remember why. Young and dumb. <laughs> yeah. Young and dumb. Yeah. That's all you can blame it on. Um, but we're doing another one. And that's the thing because we do – so our church has uh, – we're diverse age-wise and we're diverse political. Mm-hmm. I would say we are – not. yeah, so we're about equal age and po- politics. Um, we have some people – the people who sit in the front row wear uh, MAGA masks during my sermon, like Donald Trump nice. 2020. Uh, and then we have a few people who don't come to our church or that don't come during this. They're they're hopefully will come back at some point um, because of the pandemic, but they like despise. And so it's, it's funny when you talk about politics, cause there's like, when I think about like, how am I going to, uh, and you don't have to give me advice for my sermon. Cause that'd be super boring for lis- listeners, <laughs> but the, um, the, I'd be the fun. I don't know. Yeah, 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 maybe, but the, the the far left type things because I think we are in almost like a cultural fundamentalism uh, kind of an idea where it's either you you have to be either this like you said there's no space for the middle you have to be either the the lefty thing woke culture I guess or you have to be fool in guns Bible white Jesus portrait hang on your wall uh, what's the live laugh love on you know stencil on your thing like you have to have that or you have to have yeah don't tread on me flags or you have to be like fully woke professional protester things like that and so trying to bring those people together is really difficult but i think if there's one thing that can do it it should be the gospel but the church has not allowed the gospel to be the one thing that brings people together yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think, but the, the problem is pastors have advocated their responsibility. They've given over yeah. to Hannity and Tucker and, you know, Rachel Maddow and everybody else. I think that's the problem is that we, pastors should be where you get your, you know, worldview from. They should help yeah. shape the way that you conceptualize what happens around you. And they're cowards, to be completely mm-hmm. honest with you. Most pastors are cowards because, and I totally get it, because I'm lucky. It's not my job. Like, if they fire me, I can still, I still got another job. Like, I can still feed my family and mm-hmm. stuff. But imagine you, you know, you're a pastor of young kids and you want to teach, you know, preach sermon about Black Lives Matter. They could fire you tomorrow for any reason, for no reason, and you have no recourse, no legal recourse at all, and probably no severance package. Yeah. yeah. And so you probably moved a long way to go to where you're going, you know, to be at the church you're at. And if you do get fired, you might have to move back in with your in laws or your parents or, you know, who knows, right? You might be without a job for six or 12 months. So the incentive structure is towards you not telling people what they don't want to hear. Your incentive structure actually is to tell people exactly what they want to hear or not say anything controversial at all, which I think Mm -hmm. is what most pastors do is take that because it's really the path of least resistance. But like I said, if they're not speaking truth to you and they're not trying to give you a framework and a a schema for how to like think about politics, then somebody else is. And it's going to be people that you don't like. So I think the reality is churches need to understand that if you want your pastor to tell you what you want to hear, then you don't want a pastor. You want a, you want a head patter, you know, like yeah. a head patter in chief, like pat me on the head and tell me how good I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But like, there are things that just cry out for you to speak from the pulpit about that are just clearly biblical principle. Like for instance, I talked one time about what happened in Florida with, um, you know, it used to be in Florida. If you were a felon, you were disqualified from voting in the state of Florida for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So if you got pops selling drugs at 18, you served five years, you did your parole, your probation, everything else. By the time you're 30, you could literally not vote for the rest of your life. It Man. disqualified you for yeah. the rest of your life. Okay. 
And I said, I think that's antithetical to the gospel because we believe in forgiveness and redemption. Yeah. Like, is that political saying that? I don't think it's even political saying no, that. Yeah. I think it's just what, you know what I mean? Like, that's right is right, right? And mm-hmm. right means that if you, if we believe in anything, we believe in forgiveness and redemption. Like, that's yeah. not even controversial at all. But I think that's the way we can speak life into politics, right? We can say, like, this is what the gospel says about injustice. And by the way, the Republican Party, they put that on a constitutional amendment in Florida, and it passed – uh, mm-hmm. and a national or a statewide referendum, and then the Republicans of Florida came back and said, "Okay, great, but we'll let you vote again if you pay off all your fines and court fees from when you went to jail the first time." Mm-hmm. So actually, yeah. two thirds of the people who would have gotten a chance to vote because the bill passed can't vote now, and the appellate court just upheld their decision, which I also think is a miscarriage of justice because what we're saying is, if you're poor in America, the rules are mm-hmm. different for you. Yeah. Which is not, again, not a political statement. <laughs> like, yeah. Jesus had a preference for the poor, yeah. okay? He says it many times in the gospel. Mm-hmm. That is not controversial. But for some reason, saying that from the pulpit, my insides turn upside down. Yeah. And they shouldn't. Yeah. You know, that's the problem is we've moved the goalposts so far to the right that saying things that are not even ambiguous in the Bible seem like we're talking about being socialist, communist, liberals. Yeah. I mean, it's not. So I think that's I think that's what we have to do. We have to find our like oh the three strikes law in California. This guy had two two strikes for like stealing videotapes, two felonies, little mm-hmm. like minor felonies. And then he he broke into a church and he he got found by the police eating food out of the refrigerator at a Catholic church in San Francisco. Breaking into a church is a felony. Dude got this third strike, life in prison without the possibility of parole. The priest of the diocese went to the court and said, sir, Mr. Mr. Justice, he does not deserve this. He was hungry. He was homeless. He Mm -hmm. just needed something to eat, and we're happy to give it to him. He said the law is the law, life in prison. Okay? Like, that is that is how we speak our truth, though, right? Like, that's how we speak about the gospel in a way that makes sense and say, listen, I know what you think is right, but here's what the gospel says is right, and forgiveness is what we believe in. So I think there are ways, right, to be gospel-centered and to nibble at the edges of politics to help people turn people's minds away from just Republican or just liberal talking points. And I would yeah. say, like, I think it's actually super important to and almost scarier to, to realize if you are at a church that has that kind of other side mentality, you might have a pastor that actually thinks he is speaking or she is speaking the truth, Probably you know, not. and that's, the, that's even the scarier part is the people that really, really believe that's the truth. And you're like, okay, hold up. That's a problem right there. And I think that's, that's something that need, more people need to be aware of. If you're seeing those things happen, maybe you need to like really question what was going on here. You know, like, yeah, there's like the, I don't know if you've seen the whole, um, speaking of large churches, uh, the Andy Stanley and John MacArthur little, uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's been a real back and forth, but it seems at least a one-sided back and forth, so a fourth. <laughs> uh, whereas uh, Andy Stanley kind of chose to, not I'm assuming not unilaterally, uh, chose to kind of keep their church closed for the year. John MacArthur, obviously, um, uh has defied all sorts of law or not laws, but mandates or whatever to keep his open. Uh, but there is that, like both of them feel they're doing the right thing. Now I would agree with Andy Stanley far more than I would agree with a John MacArthur in this situation in particular. But at the same time, they they're both like coming from, I would say John MacArthur more coming from a, authoritative standpoint even though that authority is probably not rooted fully in 
the message of the gospel. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast yesterday called No Compromise. It's about the a group of people who think the NRA has compromised on gun rights, that they're, they're not conservative <laughs> enough. Okay. Which, you know, like on his face, you're like, Huh. Oh, okay. Like there's a group, by the way, there's a group of people who think the Southern Baptists are not conservative enough. They're okay. called Founders Ministry or the Conservative Baptist Network and want to push it further to the right. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, <laughs> yeah. what do you, like, what's further to the right? Like, yeah. I don't understand what's further to the right. Like, Didn't they just this, stop this using a, uh, like a slave gavel like yesterday? Wasn't, oh, that's like a that's recent thing. That's capitulating, dude. That's capitulating <laughs> to the left. That's socialism. <laughs> and I don't want anything to do with that. Um, so this gun group, and they say this over and over again, our gun rights are granted by God. They are God-given gun rights. And then John and the somewhere? Constitution, <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> thou shalt own an AR-15. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, but when you start talking like that, that's when religion to me gets really, really scary, right? Yeah. Because to me, there's not a whole lot of space between that and God told me to get on this plane and fly it into this building. Yeah. Right? Because what you're saying is that, like, I know what God has for me. Like, mm-hmm. I know what God wants me to have, and I will do nothing to deviate from those things. And honestly, that is a terrifying position for any religious group in America. Yeah. Like, religion religion should always have a sober second thought about everything. Yeah. Right? Whether it be guns or, you know, terrorism or their view of abortion or gay marriage or whatever it is. The problem is the loudest voices are the most strident voices, are the most conservative voices, are the most fanatical voices, right? Wow. Moderates don't march. You know, like they don't show up at rallies and be yeah. like, I'm not really sure how I feel about abortion. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> like uh, yeah. That, that doesn't make it. Like, and that's the problem is, is what we realize is that these, these people, like these no compromise people, are actually probably a very small sliver of the population. But gosh, has social media made it easy to find these people yeah. and like-minded people find like-minded people. And what happens is you feel like you're not alone and we're large. We're, yeah. you know, we're powerful. Like we have a voice. We're the, we're the, the, the silent minority or silent majority is what a lot of them say, right? So I think what happens is we have to be willing to say, no, that's not the way I understand the Bible. That's not the, you know, God doesn't think like that. Like MacArthur's like, he's on this whole thing right now. Of like God wants us to meet together in person. Like yeah. that's his jam right now. Uh-huh. And it's like when you take that strident position, it's like you can't – there's this article called Religion is Conversation Stopper, mm-hmm. which basically says like, well, God told me to. And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. there's that conversation. Like, yeah. Where are we going from there, guys? Yeah. Like, let's God told me everyone uh, should you know, drink this Kool-Aid. <laughs> Look what happened. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. God told me to buy this AR. God told me to – you know, carry an AR to the Capitol building. God mm-hmm. told me to, mm-hmm. you know, pick a thing, right? At some point, like religion becomes conversation stopper. Like you yeah. can't negotiate with that. You can't compromise on that. And I actually have some research I'm working on now that shows that evangelicals are not actually that pro-life. They're actually more anti-immigration and just pro-life sort of like wins the day. Because listen, if you're at a yeah. dinner party, you know, with mixed company, right? And you say, I'm voting for Trump. And I go, why are you voting for Trump? He goes, oh, well, because abortion. Like I don't want anybody to kill babies in America. And yeah. the other person goes, all right. You know, like, you're like I don't I don't agree with you, but I'm not going to fight you on it because, you know, like babies and abortion and stuff. But what do you said? Like, yeah, I think we should just end all immigration in this country, legal or Ill- illegal. Yeah. Someone look at you like, say, what, what now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you might be slightly xenophobic, my man. Yeah. You know, so like, you get what I'm saying here, right? Uh-huh. So what I think what evangelicals have gotten really good at is knowing how to portray their vote in a way that stops the conversation. 
Yeah. Right. Like if you say, I believe my second amendment rights are given by God, it's like, well, okay. Like, I mean, like that's an odd position, but I can't argue, you know, with your view of God and given rights and things like that. Yeah. So I think what happens is that, that, that a lot of people of faith, when they vote, hide behind things they know are more palatable. Mm-hmm. When really what's below that is a lot less palatable, mm-hmm. but actually is more important to them. They just can't articulate that in any meaningful way because they know they can't. Because they'll yeah. be socially scorned for that in mixed company. Yeah, for sure. The um, before we before we have to let you go because I think we're coming up on the hour mark, or maybe it's been an hour. Has Emmons um, passed? I we I feel like we could talk for like three hours. I know. Like, we'll call uh, you next time. Um, with Joe Rogan thing. That's, I know you're right. right now. Four hours. Four, just hours. crank Let's it out. Yeah. You, the, why not? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, did you have a thing? No, no. I figured. Once it gets time, we have one question for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have, do, do you have one uh, question we ask everybody? But who you got in uh, November, whatever, 2020? <laughs> oh, God. Who's winning? What's, so what's the betting have, line? I have a piece coming out in uh, Christianity Today, probably on Monday. I just sent the edits off this afternoon. Uh-huh. So, what I think is going to happen is that Biden is going to pick up five points with white evangelicals, mm-hmm. which is actually pretty big if you sit back and think about it. I mean, like turning the tide for, at all with that group is a win. Yeah. Um, and I think he actually, so. Um, Trump won uh, 59-41 well with white Catholics mm. in 2016. Mm. That's a big That's a big gap. It was yeah. like 55-45, then he pushed it to 59-41. I actually think Biden turns that back around and actually might be like 52-48, okay. 53-47. So if, if, if Biden can pull 6, 6% of Catholics back towards him, I think he wins the whole thing. Okay. I mean, Did the you modeling see- I've seen right now. It says he's soft, like that, that, that Trump's in a much softer position today than he was four years ago. Okay. So were, were you um, seeing I don't the numbers, want to prognosticate. Were you seeing yeah, the numbers that way uh, last time, too? Like, I know a lot of people, like, when Trump did, when, like, people were just like, what? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like well, I'm yeah. not a numbers person I, at all. Was that, like, kind yeah. of in line last time, or was well, it all we, just kind of? So here's what's funny. The national average for the poll is actually, of the, what the polling average is going to be is actually really good. It actually predicted the, the, the national vote by less than 1% error okay the problem was the statewide polls were all screwed up bad mm-hmm. and the problem was that, that that when it comes if one statewide poll says trump's going to get 47 and he gets 52 mm-hmm. on election night what happens is that all falls that way right uh-huh. so now you got to get five points to florida five points to michigan five points to wisconsin and and, and inside the margin that's enough to push you from losing to winning mm-hmm. so what happened was these statewide polls were all biased against trump at some level three or four points and they all fell the other way five points, and that was enough for Trump to win. Listen, he won Florida, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania by one between one and one point two percent of the vote in those states. Mm. Okay, yeah. that's how close it was. Eighty thousand votes are why Donald Trump won the electoral college. Eighty thousand yeah. votes out of a country of almost two hundred million adults. Yeah. So that's how close the election was. Mm. I do think if you look at the margins that, that Biden's at now, he's he's in a much healthier margin. Than Trump was, or than, than Hillary Clinton was in September of 2016. Okay. Right. So even if the errors are three or four points against him, there's still space there where he wins. Yeah. The problem was that through, you know, from a win to a loss for Hillary. So I think that, I mean, listen, this is all, this isn't an exact science. No, polling's really hard. Yeah. yeah. So people don't realize it's really, really hard. I do think that the preponderance of evidence says that Biden's probably going to win. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I think that everything like he the problem with Trump is he basically has to get the same coalition he got in 2016 again. 
Yeah. Because he's not added to the coalition. Like, no one's like, I was anti-Trump. Then the dude got elected. I was like, woo, MAGA. <laughs> yeah. No one did that. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. literally no one mm-hmm. did that. Dude, his, his approval rating has never gone below, above, like, 43% in the last three and a half years. Yeah. I mean, it never gone below 38 either, which tells you a lot, right? Like, dude, yeah. like, totally mangles COVID, 38%. Dude does great things. Economy's booming 42%. Like, the, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. he has he has a hard ceiling. Yeah. So basically, he has to cap out his ceiling during the election and win every vote that he won in 2016. And the data I say I see is saying he's losing white evangelicals by a couple points. He might lose white Catholics. He might lose do eight points worse with white Catholics. If both those two things are true, then the margin goes from he could do it to there's just no there's no road to get there because the road is closed now. Yeah. So I think it's it's very unlikely that he wins, and I'll probably look really dumb in about six weeks. <laughs> yeah, we'll have so, you back the Wednesday. After. I guess it's oh, or whatever. Yeah. No, oh. I do. I do think. I think. I my money. Like if I was going to bet, I'd bet that Biden was going to win. I think there's seventy percent chance that Biden wins right now. Yeah, yes. but betting's a sin. So, you know, <laughs> so don't yeah. do it. Just be a uh, I would thing. never gamble. Never gamble. <laughs> never do. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you so Wait, much, I Ryan. have the last oh, question. No, yeah. Jen's got one more question. Uh, okay, so we typically – we ask this question of most people. It changes a little bit, but – Basically, um, after a whole conversation. Oh, wait, 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 guys, 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 guys. <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. <gasps> oh, what? Oh. For real? Are you serious? It's on Twitter. It's on Twitter right now. Oh, my gosh. My, I, I just heard my wife yell from downstairs. Holy cow. Wow. The U.S. Supreme Court announces, and, and it's a Bloomberg reporter saying that she's died. Wow. Oh my holy, holy cow. Holy no. We're gonna have to look into that now. Do you think? He, do you think if Trump loses, he pushes one through? By so Jan- this is my this January? is actually my black swan. This is my black swan event. It just, it just happened. My worst fear was Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies, and the Republicans try to cram a Supreme Court justice uh-huh. in the last minute here. Wow. Um, because that moves at six three, and uh, the court, you know, will become really unbalanced, and this could throw the country in a in serious disarray right now. So this is this is a big deal. Like this. This actually, I just got like a cold chill thinking about it. Like to me, yeah. this is like democracy is at stake. Mm-hmm. Not to overemphasize it, but I really yeah. truly think like the what the idea of democracy is that we do what's right, mm-hmm. and and unfortunately, the Republican Party in power right now has consistently not done what's right. They've done what gets them more power. Yeah, and I think this is another example of where that could go awry. Huh. Um, I think I think this is this is a very scary moment for American history. To be completely honest with you. Um, and I would love if they would um, slow play this and say, let's see what happens to the election. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it has to be, I think that's Senate, the best for the country. Is it Senate approved? Yeah. Senate confirmed. Yeah. Senate confirmed, which is Republican. Mm-hmm. The president's also a Republican. Um, so they could basically cram through whoever they wanted to in the next, before, if Trump lost, they could still do it in the lame duck after he lost. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. in, in December. So theoretically, he could appoint a justice. He could appoint a justice um, in in any time the next three months and and switch the court for you know forty years. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. All right. I, really I don't did. even want to ask question. Like, I, that's crazy. I don't feel like. No, I know. Like wow. I, I didn't want to interrupt you guys. No, no. That's like the biggest news of the year. Like yeah. that is unbelievably like scary. It really, honestly, truly. And I talked on a podcast like three weeks ago. Like this is my nightmare event. It really, truly mm. is. Um. Yeah, because it it, it it will show you what the Republican Party is really about. Hmm. And yeah, sure. I think they're about power. I don't think they're about what's, what's good for the country. And I think that's a tragedy, to be completely honest with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so anyway, ask me the question. Wow. No, I'm, ex- I'm really excited. <laughs> for the wow. Question. No, yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, that that's interrupt. Um, so typically we ask um, what you would 
if there's something you would challenge our listeners on uh, when it comes to their faith and maybe their faith and politics, um, or just maybe their politics if they aren't Christians that are listening to this. So you're yeah, big, you're like so your go-to I, challenge for people. I would say, if does your does your political theology, your political ideology line up perfectly with your religious theology? And if it does, do you think that's a problem? Yeah. Um, I think that you should always have things that in your party that you don't like, that you think are anti-gospel, anti-Christian, you know, antithetical to what you believe about the world. And if you can't find that in your own party, then politics has become your god. And you need to seriously reevaluate what what you're what you're doing in this world because politics will not save you. Politics will not redeem you. Politics will not give you life. Politics will do the opposite of that more often than not because politics is about power and greed. And yeah. that's antithetical to what the gospel is about. So what I would say is I think you need to take a deep, hard, long look at your faith. And if that if that faith, you know, one one person told me one time, if God hates all the same people that you do, you know you created them in your own image. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. like I think that that's the problem is that people don't think critically about their own party as well. Why they could be wrong, what might be wrong about what their party does. So that would be my challenge to people is really sit back. And that question that I ask, can you name two good things about the other party right now? Two things you agree with on their policies. And if you can't, then you're a hack. Yeah. Okay. You're not a thinking person. Um, you have to be willing to see good things on both sides of the aisle because not one side is right and the other side's wrong on everything. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. just not the way the world works. So that's my challenge is for people to be critical about their faith and critical about their vote and understand how those two things link together. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. stealing all of that in <laughs> my politics sermon. You just sermon. wrote his sermon. You just wrote my sermon. <laughs> cool. Oh, I'll write your yeah. sermon and your sermon and the other sermon and everybody's sermon. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, where can people uh, find more about you? What you got coming up? Uh, so, um, at Ryan Burge, uh, on Twitter is where like the hub of everything happens. R Y A N B U R G E. Uh, I have a book coming out in March, uh, March the 3rd called the nuns N O N E S where they came from, who they are and where they are going. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, about 150 pages, about 45 graphs, just describing how we got here in terms of religious demography, explaining the difference between the nuns. Explaining, yeah. you know, and then also some kind of some call to the church about what kind of groups can be reached and what kind of groups can't be reached with, you know, who are receptive to possibly coming back. So that's books coming out in March. That's really uh, and you can also follow my work on a website called Religion in Public, religioninpublic.blog. I write probably one or two posts there uh, a month on quantitative social science and religion and politics in America. So uh, that's my deal. Nice. Awesome. I can't do any of that. Um, well, thank you so much. We really did uh, appreciate having you on, getting some insight on this stuff. It's it's great to talk to you, and we will have to do it again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, we after are for the sure next getting election. you on again, yeah. So, uh, thanks. Uh, get a breath of fresh air and dig into this Ruth Bader Ginsburg thing. Oh here. my gosh! Don't bring guys. it back. No, up. sorry. I don't. All right. All right. Well, you just ruined his front. I know. Anyway. I didn't mean to come back. Sorry. We just ended that. Um. So. Anyway, thank you guys. Uh, thank you so much again. We really appreciate it. We'll talk thank to you soon. Yeah. And uh, Thanks, have really a great night. All right. Yeah. You too. Have a great one. Right, have a good weekend, guys. All yeah. right. You too. All right. Bye bye. Holy cow! That oh. was a uh, good interview. Um. Wow. I so I, I can't believe we were literally on air and found out that she Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, died. I was trying to look it up. I haven't seen it this yet. Pop insane. up on mine. Maybe because I've Twitter's deleted. Faster than I've deleted anything politics from my Facebook. <laughs> just so gone. I was like, oh, I got a lot of Steeler yeah. stuff coming <laughs> through my feed. Look at that. Look, ready? Steelers. <laughs> Steelers. Yeah. Steelers. No. Well, that was a a heck of a conversation. I know. I mean, a lot to chew on. Yeah. 
I oh, loved she it. Did. She died at 87. Ugh. Wow. May she rest in peace. That's crazy. Wonderful. Well, we'll see what happens with that. Um, that was a really good conversation. That was great. Yeah, that's awesome. I so don't even have much to yeah, say. Yeah, as thank you guys for. Uh, I mean, let's just wrap it up. Yeah, quick. That's we're, it. we're we're done. We're there. Um, so again, if you guys uh, haven't checked out the new website yet, it's christianafpodcast.com. Look Woo-hoo. it up. Uh, you can find all of our links, uh, the two, uh, at Facebook and Instagram. Oh, hey, we're finally on uh, Amazon Podcast Amazon and iHeartRadio. Uh, the they just opened it up. Ooh, so iHeartRadio. Oh, hasn't been. Yeah, yeah, who right. uses that? I don't know. But for the one person that listens via iHeartRadio, yeah, we're there, there for you now. Um, so feel free to check us out. Go to the website. Uh, find the links there. Um, and if you don't see us, just do Christian AF Podcast when you're searching. Uh, some people have been saying they can't find it. Uh, because you're not adding the podcast, we're not. Uh, we don't have billions of followers yet to where it'll just pop up. So um, mm. check that out. And in the meantime, uh, we've got uh, a cool guest coming up uh, soon. We uh, we're interviewing uh, some another podcast. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe maybe it's spiritual. I was just on theirs. Uh, we're doing a crossover show, so keep an eye out for that. That's coming up soon. Otherwise, uh, I uh, just keep questioning things. Question your politics. I'm not mm. even going to do the whole thing. I don't have it in front of me. Just question your politics. Yeah. yeah. That's the question right now. So, um, so in that regard, I am Jesse. I'm Evan. I'm Jen. And that was Christian. Christian AF. Every yeah, every, man, dude. Just peeking all over the place, and now it's the whole thing. All right. Christian anyway. AF. <laughs>